Brian, your lunatic friend. It's Jesus and music in the 1970s. And at this point, we're somewhere around 1977. We were learning things by trial and error. After hearing childish things on the radio, we would discover that radio airplay means nothing if you don't have distribution. What good is radio airplay if people can't buy your record anywhere? We would also discover that if you were going to get a single on all the radio stations across the country, you were going to have to pay somebody to pitch it. And their hands would be tied if people had never heard of you. So the record company needed to be marketing your product and your band. Trouble is, we were on a label that didn't believe in marketing. That would be drawing attention to yourself. It was only a matter of months before we realized we had made a huge mistake going with Maranatha Music. But a year ago was the only record company we knew about, and probably the only one that ever heard of us. Yeah, they knew who we were, but it was clear that they didn't really like us. It was mostly because of the style of music we were playing. Jazz, rock, funk, soul, R&B. We should have known there was no faith in us when they asked us to come up with most of the money to do the record, and then they would put it on their label. We would find out later that they also didn't see any reason for paying royalties on record sales. Nope, it was all ministry. 46 years later, I realized Chuck Fromm was Chuck Smith's nephew. And I just heard this year from somebody who used to work at Maranatha Music that eventually Chuck Smith would pay $3 million to Chuck Fromm for Maranatha Music. The only money we would see from that record was in live concert sales. And I think this is what they mean by paying your dues. The music industry thrives on fresh, young talent, mostly because they're clueless. So in our last meeting with Maranatha Music and Chuck Fromm to say goodbye, he tells us if you leave this company, your chances of doing anything again are slim and none. We thought about changing our name to Slim and None, but it sounded like a duo. He did do us a favor, though. His words would be a battle cry for the next 10 years. Every flat tire, every bounce check, every miserable concert that didn't turn out the way we planned, we would keep going by simply looking at each other and saying, Slim and None. We would hear of another record company up in Newberry Park, California. Light Records was about two hours north of Maranatha Music. It was owned and run by a guy named Ralph Carmichael. He played kind of a big band orchestra type of music. Almost looked like a cartoon character. Big black horn rim glasses, handlebar mustache, and mutton chops that go clear to his chin. He kind of looked like Geppetto. You know, from Pinocchio? He'd been around Christian music as long as Andre Crouch. Considered cutting edge back in his day. But he had a band on his label called Messenger. The lead vocalist and guitarist, Rick Riso, had a flavor like George Benson. He'd be singing, bringing a message. Mm. Very similar to our band. So we figured Light Records might be interested. And they were. But the real selling point was the sheer number of dates we were playing. We signed a three record deal with them with two options. That's where they decide they can keep you for another two records if you're selling well. And they would front all the money for the record. Well, there's a step ahead. We had creative freedom, too, to write our own songs and pick our own producer. And we already knew who that was going to be. There was a group out of Hawaii called Sea Wind. It was a seven-piece band. They did pop jazz. Had a full horn section. In fact, they played on that Messenger album we heard. They were on a secular label, but they had a few Christians in the band. We had heard their record, Window of a Child. I first heard them on the jazz station. The lead singer, Pauline Wilson, stopped me in my tracks when I heard her singing Send Us an Angel of Mercy. And the horn section was unbelievably good. They would go on later to play on a lot of Quincy Jones projects. The horn players were Jerry Hay, Kim Hutchcroft, and Larry Williams. We went to see Sea Wind Live in a little club in Ontario, California. The place only seated 200, but they were on a co-bill with a group called LTD who had a hit song called Back in Love Again. It was almost prophetic to me. I had never written a song that included a horn section, and I was already dreaming about it. That was the night we met Bob Wilson. He was a drummer, a believer, and the husband of the lead singer, and he agreed to produce on a record. We only had one condition. We had to have that Sea Wind horn 
section playing on the project. First thing we learned is if you were going to have a horn section, you needed to write songs that made room for them. So Bob Wilson became a co-writer with us. First song we wrote with him would be the title track, a little song called Breaking the Ice. He had to show us to play less and make the music more of a conversation between instruments, and I found it hard to leave holes for somebody else to play in. I was used to holding down the chord progression, even through the guitar solos, for the whole song. Up till now, I'd never trusted other musicians to carry the song while I did nothing. I wasn't a great keyboard player, so I didn't mind dropping out. But one thing I didn't like about Bob was he wanted to use different vocalists on different lines in the same song. Yeah, and I started to feel like I was on the sideline. One of the most hurtful reviews I ever heard was, this is great music, but there seems to be an overall lack of a lead singer. But the two biggest songs on this record that would get airplay were the ones with the horn section. Got to believe in something. And another song that goes, well, it's a good feeling, a good feeling to give your life away. And these two songs would be staples in our set for the next couple of years. And the Sea Wind horn section got us the attention of Disneyland. They had a big Christian night called Night of Joy, and we would be a headliner. So we would start doing horn arrangements for the other songs, like Childish Things, hired our own horn players, and at Disneyland, we'd have five of them. The song Got to Believe was the first time we got attention from a national audience, and it was almost subtle the way we started playing out of state and as far away as Florida. And we would learn that what national attention does for you is to triple your time on the road. And we weren't quite ready. Kevin Thompson had bought a Ford Econoline van that we rode in, and we bought a 4x6 single-axle trailer from a rental company that went out of business. It was almost ironic that the new album was called Breaking the Ice. Yeah, it would help us break into a national audience, but we would also break a few other things in the way of disasters that almost got us killed. But God's hand was on us, and there was also a song that we overlooked and didn't play on tour that would outlast any songs that we ever did. You can hear Breaking the Ice, It's a Good Feeling, and Got to Believe from the Sweet Comfort Band on the Breaking the Ice album on YouTube, as well as the other two groups that I mentioned. Look for Messenger, Bring in the Message, and Sea Wind, Angel of Mercy. You'll find both of them on YouTube. You are supporting NutshellSermons.com by listening, sharing it with your friends, and donating when you want to. Oh, and I wouldn't turn down prayers for me and sign the comments so I feel better.